Hey guys, you're going to want to catch the next episode of the Real Estate Rundown because we're going to interview Kent Ritter. And guys, if you haven't heard about what Kent's doing, you're going to want to see what this guy's doing because not only is he looking at being involved in multifamily, the buying, the selling, the things like that, but Kent is really focused on making a social impact in his multifamily investing. So you're going to want to see what he's talking about. You're going to want to come back to the Real Estate Rundown, check it out. He is going to drop some absolute gems on you guys. So don't miss it. Come join Kent Ritter and the Real Estate Rundown as we go explore multifamily. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 270 of the Real Estate Rundown. It is my pleasure to talk with Kent Ritter in this episode. Kent, how are you this morning? I'm doing amazing, Shannon. Thanks for having me on the show. So Kent, we spoke a couple of months ago and you gave me this incredible story that it wasn't just about investing with you and how you got involved in multifamily and all this kind of stuff. Take us through kind of your evolution as Kent Ritter, the business professional, and how you got to be involved where you're at and where you're going forward. Yeah, no, I'd love to do that. So let me take you back a little bit, and I promise this won't be a 15-minute story, but it's good context. So I started out as a management consultant. I graduated from college, moved to Chicago, and what I did was spent 12 years traveling around the country helping big companies solve big problems. They didn't call us if things were going well. They called us when they had problems they couldn't solve themselves. So that line of work, I just got really good at one, diagnosing issues, but two, figuring out how to quickly solve them and then creating a vision to do that. And then being able to get all the people, many of whom didn't want to change or didn't want to get on board, figure out how to get them on board and and get them all moving in the right direction. And I just feel like that's important because that has been such a valuable skill as I've transitioned to be a real estate investor. And the funny thing is that what I hear you saying is you were Kent Ritter, the cat herder and getting everybody in <laughs> yeah. direction. You know, it's funny because everybody thinks about real estate. Everybody knows the end goal, but everybody in real estate has a different goal. And getting right. everybody headed the same direction is such a difficult thing to do. I mean, people who aren't involved in it have no idea, even in a single family home transaction, you got the realtor that's got their objective. You got the mortgage guy that's trying to get you the loan that he thinks is best for you. You got the home warranty guy. You got the inspector who's got a buddy who needs the home repair work. I mean, you've got all these people involved. You got the officer, you got all these people trying to get them on the same page and move in the same direction is not an easy skill. And most people in real estate guys, if you haven't figured it out, don't have that skill. So the yeah, fact and, that you recognize that that was going to be so important in your later life, Kent, is... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. How is isn't it? It really is. And a lot of it comes back to just the things that are important to me, one of which is just communication. I think most problems in life come from poor communication. And if you just have good communication, you can get through a lot of things. And so it starts there and then it's about being organized. But yeah, so I think that context is important. And then in 2010... Uh, a few colleagues of mine and myself, we left the company we were at to actually start our own business. And we started our own boutique management consulting firm. We ran that from 2010 to 2015 when we exited. And in that time, we grew it from in literally five guys around a kitchen table, like you think about a startup story, to 95 employees, a $30 million in annual revenue. And at that point, we thought it was the right time to exit. And so we, we sold that at the end of 2015. I had done a little bit of real estate investing passively before that, but that's really what kicked off my real estate journey was I had this capital from the exit that I wanted to invest, right? I knew I didn't want to have all my eggs in one basket in the stock market. And so I started doing more research 
fell in love with real estate, had some great mentors along the way who helped me skip some of those traditional steps of like becoming a single family landlord and then moving to multifamily. I got right into multifamily, avoided just buying one multifamily on my own and kind of being the master of that kingdom, but having nothing else, right? And learned about syndication. And once I learned about syndication and that model where you can pool people's money together and I can actually bring people along with me and go and buy a bigger, better asset than I'd be able to on my own, like the light bulb went off and I was like, man, this is it. This is all I want to do. And so I spent really 2016 to 19 just learning everything I could about that because I was self-aware enough to know that there's a lot I didn't know and there's probably a lot I didn't even know I didn't know, right? So I went through several mentoring programs, some formal coaching, every podcast and book and thing you could read, probably 10, 12 conferences a year. And I started passively investing in a lot of other people's deals to see how they operated and to really get inside the deals and start to understand what's going on. So fast forward in October 19, uh, purchased the first property as a part of the general partnership that's leading the syndication. We purchased 250 units down in Atlanta. And we actually just came full circle on that deal, sold it. It's July now. We sold it in June. It was a home run for the investors. That's a big milestone, right? You get that first one through and sold. And then in 2020, I had formed a mentorship with a gentleman here in Indianapolis who'd been in real estate for about 30 years. And he had been helping me along through the process. And in 2020, he asked me to come on board to join his private equity firm and kind of build my company off of his platform. And the idea would be that I can grow kind of 10x in doing that, right? And so joined up with the company Burgeon Held and through 2020, the beginning of 21, worked with them. We did uh, three syndications that I ran and really from beginning to end, sourced the equity, secured the debt, underwriting everything, putting those together. And then in 21, I decided that, that it was time for me to get back out on my own. As the entrepreneur in me, I wanted to plant my own flag. And so now I'm out operating on my own and we are we're just rocking and rolling. We've got several deals under contract and we're finding more. So what I hear you saying is that you've gone from one stepping stone to another that furthered your education every single time. You went That's through right. a consulting company that solved problems for other people around business. And this is the one thing that I've always wished I could have done as a serial entrepreneur. I've always owned my own companies. And when you do that, you can't knock on the door and invite yourself in to look at how they run things, right? Yeah. But I have been able to look at other people's businesses and I've been able to see when you're not the operator, you can look at it and you can see more clearly and easier why it is or is not working, right? A hundred percent. There's no emotional attachment to it, right? Well, I mean, why do you do this? Well, it started with Bobby. When right. Bobby started here 25 <laughs> years ago, we started working from six in the morning until three because he had to get off work and go pick up his kids from school. And so that's what we did. Nobody yep. thought that maybe that's not the business hours you want to have. And it's those kind of thought processes, as silly as that is, that gets entrenched in a business. And so you were able to see how other people's models worked and what worked about them and what didn't, making the adjustments that they needed you to make. Then you were able to take that and apply that to real estate. That's exactly right. Take that yeah. and apply that to fundraising. Then you were able to, now you're out on your own. I envy you so much, Kent, because you've been able to take other people's successes, other people's failures, learn and watch those and help manipulate those and help grow those. And then slowly have made that transition. And I don't say slowly, I mean, from 2010 to now, that's not a slow process to be able to go from where you were to where you are is not slow at all. 
but you've been able to do it with a lot of inside knowledge and a lot mm-hmm. of inside track from other people. And then the fact that you also mentioned you've been through several mentoring programs. I mean, mm-hmm. you're really ahead of a lot of people because you've realized the value of other people's value, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's where people can be short-sighted and I don't have a mentoring program, so I'm not trying to sell myself, but one of the mentoring programs I signed up for was 25 grand. And it's like, wow, that's a lot of money, right? But the way I started to think about it was, okay, but if I can avoid one 50,000 or one 100,000 or even larger mistake, it's worth it every day of the week, right? And honestly, I have been able to avoid some pretty big mistakes because I've had that backstop and I've had that person I can go to when their experience. Right. And you know, the thing that a lot of people fail to do is invest in themselves, but they want other people to invest in them. They fail to see the fact that without that relatability, without that basic knowledge, I mean, you can learn all this yourself. I'm living proof that you can learn it all yourself, right? Yeah. But it's taken me 27 years to do what you've done in 11, right? So, I mean, I wouldn't say that that's intelligence. I would say that that's, you know, but there's a lot to that, right? And you don't have to go through all the heartache and all the different difficulties that other people have gone through if you're willing to pay for it one way or the other and to accelerate that learning curve. So a lot of people fail to see that that is an investment that's so worth it. And it's just been as of late, Ken, in all honesty, candidly between you, me, and I don't know, a couple thousand listeners, um, <laughs> that I've began to really see the value of diving in hard to mentorship and to be able mm-hmm. to let other people pour into me and to streamline my business model and to yeah. make my business practice better. And that's a realization that honestly, I wish I could go back and have that. That's the one conversation I would have with my 20 year old self. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's great insight at any time. One thing that you said really stuck out to me because it's the way I think about it is you said you're going to pay for it one way or the other. And that's exactly right. You're going to pay the mentor to mentor you, or you're going to make the mistake and you're going to pay for it that way. And so you are, you're paying for the education one way or the other. Well, the funny thing too, Kent, how many people have you met that absolutely adore real estate? And the reality is, let me rephrase that a little bit better. There's always people that think they're going to love it more than they actually do. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. You could have learned that with your first mentor. You Mm -hmm. could have learned that the real estate isn't the career for you. And it might not be, right? I mean, we've run into people that go, man, I don't know what I was thinking, but I hate math. Oh, wow. Well, being the (laughs) DP of the syndication is probably not what you want to be jumping into. I hate talking to banks. I don't like the tenants. All these things that if you really had that insight, you may not have picked, right? Right. Right. I mean, I talk to a lot of investors who are coming to me now to invest passively, who were are currently single family landlords. And they're in that situation. They're like, you know, I I went out and bought these because I wanted to be in real estate, but man, I hate dealing with the tenants. I hate having to be on call and fixing toilets. I hate, you know, and so I think to your point, now they're finding a passive approach, which fits better for them and what their passions are. And so I, I agree that before you jump all in on a property, it's great to be able to dip your toe in the water like you're talking about. Well, and that's where you know a lot of people fail to realize that a mentorship program would have taught you that. And here's the systems you've got to set up when you're going to go scale your burr. Here's what you're going to do when you're going to mm-hmm. go into the wholesaling market. I mean, 
a lot of people don't realize the work that's involved until they're involved. And so one of the other things that you really like to do with yours is you like a particular genre of housing. You really after yeah. workforce housing. Why are you so focused on that? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, from an investment standpoint, I think there's fantastic opportunities there. One, the supply of the properties, the tenant demographic, where you have folks who are largely renters by necessity versus by choice, right? You have a lot of lifetime renters, so long-term renters. And if you can create a good experience for them, you can create a lot of loyalty and you avoid a lot of turnover. So you can have a pretty stable investment. That's kind of the investor side of things. But really, I think there's also just a huge opportunity to make an impact in these people's lives because one of the things that I really believe in is that everybody should just have access to clean, safe, affordable housing. And a lot of these properties, so when I say workforce housing, I think of our typical tenant is somebody where their family income is between like forty dollars to $60,000 a year, right? And a lot of these folks are living in buildings that are 40, 50, even 60 years old. A lot of the owners are that my experience are mismanaging or not managing as well as they could. They maybe don't have the capital to keep infusing into the property to keep it up. And so we're really able to come in, we're able to infuse that capital. We're able to, maybe we're adding LED lights, we're adding security cameras, right? We're making the property safer. We're renovating the units, we're cleaning up the property. We're adding amenities like playgrounds, dog parks, gazebos, grilling stations, you know, general things but are able to improve the experience of folks. And, and I think in doing that, I think it is creating a positive social impact. But if you turn around a multifamily complex, you can really start to turn a neighborhood around. And you do that enough times, you start to turn around enough neighborhoods, it really starts to have a big impact. And I think you give people like a pride of ownership, even though they're renting, they have a pride in their community. And I think that's really powerful. And so that's kind of the deeper mission of what I do is I think we can turn this around one building at a time and make sure that people have a clean, affordable, safe place to live. And that's funny because, well, let's just be honest. People don't view landlords as people that have a heart, right? They, they, view, <laughs> no. they view us as Scrooge McDuck, right? That's um, right. I mean, we don't care. All you're here for is the money and all of those kinds of things. But as you've done that, how has that affected your overall rent collection, your overall return on investment with what you've done? It's a complete win-win because what's happened is turnover has dropped, delinquency has dropped, and that's allowed us to just have a more stable investment. I mean, one of your biggest costs in owning a property is a turnover. Not only the cost of actually turning the unit, but the lost revenue of having that unit down. And so if you're able to bring turnover rates down because people want to be at your property, they want to stay at your property and they're staying for longer periods of time, then it really helps improve the returns on your investment. So I think by creating programs for folks, creating sense of community for folks, giving them amenities that they wouldn't be able to get other places. So one thing that I love that we're doing is we're running fiber optic internet to all of our properties. And we're giving it to folks at a cheaper rate than they'd get their cheapest normal cable internet for. So that is a win-win because they're getting a better product, higher speeds, more stable connection. They don't have to deal with the cable company. They move in, we flip a switch and their internet's on because we control it. 
We do a market survey and we intentionally undercut the market to make it a no-brainer for folks. And it's not an additional financial burden for them because they're already paying somebody for internet. We just shift the revenue to the property and they're actually, we're actually reducing their overall financial burden in doing that. So like that's one of those situations where they can't go to another property and get that. So it creates that stickiness, but it's also a huge value for them. You know, and Kent, it's almost like we're working out the same playbook because we do the same thing, right? And to me, it starts with our customer experience. The very first time they call and try to become a tenant of ours, I've found that the people that work for you that are your property management team are your first interface. And so often people go for, I went with these guys because they were the cheapest. Well, I guess that's one way to do it, but is that what you want your tenants to say? I rented from Kent because, <laughs> right, right? right? I mean, we shoot to be $35 more than anybody else in the market because of that same stickiness. I'm going to give mm-hmm. you a better customer experience. You're going to get a return phone call from me, from my company today. Mm-hmm. You know, if you call before five o'clock, we'll return that call before we leave the office. That's the policy. Because yeah. when we're doing that, we're creating that same environment that people believe that, hey, I actually matter to these guys. I'm going to stick around. And when I stick around, I'm going to be there two, three, four years because when have you ever had a tenant move out and not spent the security deposit cleaning, doing the upkeep, fixing carpet, fixing paint, putty and holes? I mean, you never wind up in a win on that where you got all of your expense covered and you actually gave them back money. And it's not because you're doing anything underhanded. It's just that there was wear and tear. And then the moving out costs money. And then the, you know, like you said, then the lack of people being in there. But then mm-hmm. providing other amenities like the faster, better internet that we can buy in bulk that gets to them at a cheaper rate, but also increases our NOI. Exactly. Those kinds of things. By the time you go $35 a door more because of your customer service experience and the people want to stay here and 35 bucks for a profit that you're making on your internet, now you've created a $70 a door delta out of thin air by just being nice and creating a better customer service experience than what the other guy has. It takes something to interface with the fiber guys and get that run to the property and take care of all that and to make sure that everybody's is working and all that kind of stuff. But the ultimate customer experience is better. And I think that that really reflects Kent on you very well, because it goes back to that same mission. You're wanting to provide safe, clean, affordable housing and you're wanting to do that in the best possible fashion that allows people to live a life that is full And not Mm -hmm. something where they're having to chase this down or chase that down and spending more to get less. And I think that that reflects not only in how you run your business, but how your businesses treat your clients. Yeah, I appreciate that. It is very important to us. And I think one thing that you said around your property management company, I mean, whether it's a third party or whether it's your own company, I mean, there is nothing more important to a property, nothing that will make or break your investment more than a property management company or the people that are managing the property. And I think that customer service piece is something that is so simple to do. None of it is difficult, but it's not difficult to make that follow-up phone call, but it's the stuff that often does get left behind. And I completely agree with you. It has a huge impact. So Kent, let's focus on that for a minute. Because we both understand that it's so important, how is it that you find your property management company? How has you met them? I'm assuming that you're not doing your own property management. No, there's a couple of companies that I've worked with. And how are you vetting them? What are your top priorities when you're talking with the property management company as far as 
I want to hire these guys because this is their priority? Yeah, that's a really good question. One of the first things that I want to understand is that they're able to think like an owner. They're able to think like an investor and they understand the numbers. They understand what we're trying to achieve and they understand the levers to pull to get there. There are certain things you can pull the lever, you know, and it makes things happen, right? And they understand those different. And that was going back to when I was a consultant, what I started to fundamentally understand and seeing all these different businesses is like each business has three or four levers that you can pull to really drive change and make an impact. And it's important for me that the property managers understand what those are. So basically it's like getting past all the noise to know what's really important and the ability to think like an owner and to act and to be able to just put that cap on versus just somebody that's trying to just collect their management fee, right? And that's one thing that I like to do it doesn't always work out is to be able to add an incentive structure for them that, that incentivizes performance and incentivizes them to overachieve. Because what I found was, and this is a mistake that I made early on, was you do your underwriting, right? And the underwriting that you share with investors, at least my approach, is I want that underwriting, honestly, to be a little sandbag. I want that underwriting to be like, there's like 90% confidence that we're going to hit that and we're going to underpromise and we're going to overdeliver right well i turn that underwriting that's kind of sandbagged over to the property management company and all of a sudden that becomes like their aspirational goal right, right? so my floor becomes their ceiling right and i ended up on these calls with property management as i'm asset managing these properties and saying well guys why did we only do a one percent rent increase here like the market's going up five percent and they're like well because that's all we needed to do to get to pro forma and i'm like okay, but you're missing the point. <laughs> like, And that's what I mean by not being able to put that owner hat on and not really understanding the context around how what they're doing impacts the overall investment, right? Understanding the context, I think, is what's really important and how what they do, how that drives change. It goes back to customer service, right? If they don't have a good customer service experience, then what happens down the line? Well, those leads don't become tenants. Right. And the people that are our current residents, they leave and our turnover rate is up. Right. So they've got to understand those downstream impacts. So that's kind of the beginning. You know, you know and you found something very important there. And you're one of the few people that said it like I say it. And again, great playbook you got there asset management. Most people look at it as property management and they're managing the paint, they're managing the parking lot, they're managing the clubhouse, they're managing. Mm-hmm. The rent collection, and that has some to do with it, but 60-40 split back to the asset, you're there to make the best customer experience so that when you go in for the 6% rent increase, everybody's happy to pay it because they've got the best experience that they can have. They're in love with where they live. They like where they live because it's back to exactly what you said, clean, safe, affordable housing. And affordability, Mm -hmm. you can talk to people that own a Porsche Cayenne. They can tell you about affordability. They're not driving that because it's the cheapest car, right. but they're driving that because of the value that it creates for them, the steering and the acceleration and the comfort and the luxury, but they're understanding that. And people fail to see that a lot of times when they're property managing, they're looking at it going, well, maybe if we just do a light clean on the carpets, then we can save 50 bucks and our NOI will be better. Right. Maybe you replace the carpets, move in a tenant that's got the new apartment smell 
that's in love with a complex that had a fantastic customer service experience that's willing to take not only this year's 6% rent increase, but next year's and not thrilled about it, but looking at it going, this is the best place I could possibly live. I love Mm -hmm. living here and I love the way they treat me. And that is really truly asset management. And I think a lot of people miss that because they're looking at it going, well, this guy wants 3% and this guy wants 4% and I'm going to go with this guy, but it's about how they interface and how they act. And you're so correct there because when you're putting out your thoughts and your projections, there's ways to exceed that. And like you also said, there's ways to motivate and to reward based on how did you do based on performing over performa? You did this much, we're going to reward with that much. You did this much, we're going to reward with that much and be able to really put them on the same team with you. Now you have asset managers on the ground in every market you're in. And I think you're exactly right. It's being able to help them kind of change that mindset. And another thing I learned as a consultant is people act as they're incentivized to act. And it just, there's, (laughs) this is going to sound negative. There's a small percent of the population that will do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. There's a much larger percentage of population that will do the right thing because they're paid to do the right thing. And so you've got to incentivize people to do the things you want them to do. And that may be different on different properties, right? Like if it's a property that's in a lease up, well, then maybe you're incentivizing leads and occupancy. If it's a property where the occupancy has been really stable, maybe you're incentivizing based on the percentage rent increase off of renewals, right? Or on those. And those incentives could change with time. I think those incentives should change as the phase of the project changes and as The project moves from kind of renovation phase to stable phase. But I think that's how you get alignment with property management is you have to align. People will act as they're incentivized to act. Well, and if you need further proof of that, guys, Google Harvard and monkeys and testing, right? I mean, mean, we've been doing this for years with monkeys and we've been able to prove that monkeys will do exactly what they're incentivized to do. Lab rats will do. And human nature is not much different. So, Kent, you bring up a really good point there that being able to look at each situation differently and not just paint it with a broad brush and go, hey, your property management, you must think like this and you must do this and each one being different. Yeah. And I think it's like I said, think like an owner. It's really a critical thinking. There's not just the playbook that every property that they own, that's the playbook and this is what happens. There's actually some critical thinking into this property and the specific situation on that property. And they change management style because of that. Right. And you know, you're correct on that. So Kent, when you're looking at, you mentioned early on in the show that you're not only doing value add, but you're looking at development. What is the difference that you see between where you're at with your underwriting on value add versus your underwriting on development? And how is that affecting you when you look at all the things that we've been talking about during the show, as far as critical thinking about the business plan, about the incentives, about the business model, bringing the people along, all getting to the underlying goal that you have to bring clean, affordable, safe housing to people. How are you viewing both of those? Because they're two different asset classes. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I will just caveat that like, Shannon, you could run circles around me on the development side. I'm very much a newbie, but here's how I look at things is Okay, where we are in the market right now, and even in the last six months, I mean, pricing has gotten insane for properties. I mean, I can tell you, 
One of the markets that I look at very closely is Louisville, Kentucky, and we own property there. We're actually buying another property there right now. And I'm looking for other properties, but I've seen in the past six months, probably a $30,000 increase in a per unit price of a C-class property in Louisville. What's the percentage on that? Is that a 10% or 15%? What percentage? So you're going from 80 to 90,000 up to like 125,000 so a unit. You're talking about a 30% price increase from 90 to 100. 100. Yeah. I mean, it's been drastic. And so in a market like this, I mean, that's what turned my eye to say, man, maybe I should start looking into some development opportunities because you're running into where it costs just as much to build new as it does to buy something that's 20 years old. And so when you start to do the math on that, I mean, I think any logical person starts to say, man, well, maybe we should look at, at just building something new where we don't have to worry about the stuff in the building that's 20 years old. And so that's kind of the really simple answer. But I'm also just seeing opportunities where there's just not enough housing in the US, right? We're short. We're short on single family homes. I saw a report. It's like 4 million short right now on single family homes. I've seen other reports on multifamily that are anywhere from four to five million short on multifamily units. So you combine that, maybe that's nine million places to live short. And so there's just in that environment, there's a big opportunity to continue to build and continue to develop. And I love opportunities where we can come into a city or a town. I mean, there's some towns in Indianapolis I'm looking at building in where there's just a drastic shortage of new construction. Nobody's building new stuff there largely because it's just not sexy, right? It's not a sexy market, but where I think we could come in and build a very nice, like B-class affordable place to live and partner with the local community to do that. And so it's just something that just, like I'm an economics guy, you look at supply and demand and the trends, and then you look at where we are in the real estate cycle and how much the price of buying a value-add property is, and it just starts to make a lot of sense. So the reality is too, you're looking at markets that you know supply and demand is driving everything, right? And yet when you have that supply being outstripped by demand, everything's running out, right? I mean, we don't have enough lumber. We don't have enough concrete. We've got all these other issues. So that even in and of itself is continuing to drive pricing. And so it's creating this tighter and tighter spiral where the numbers are getting worse and worse. So the affordability is beaten out of the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Then it's affordable with what I had to spend is different than what the tenant is looking for as far as affordable out of their paycheck. That's right. So you're dealing with those economics, but you also know as well as anybody, how to increase that profitability without necessarily having to drive your rents up. I mean, what are some of the ways that you can increase your profitability without having that direct impact to the tenant that says, I got to raise your rents in order to make me more profitable? So I'm a big believer in creating value-add amenities that can become additional revenue streams. And we talked about the internet as one. And another thing that we've had a lot of success in is purchasing washers and dryers and and renting them back to the residents. They get a brand new unit and we're able to get the rental fees off of that. And just different programs like that. I mean, even going into like bulk purchasing for like cell phones and not the physical cell phone, but like the cell phone plan and giving discounts to residents on a property because we can go in and say, hey, okay, we'll offer this to the residents if you give them 10% discount, you know, something like that. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. 
And really, I think one side of it is controlling your basis when you're going into the property. Where a lot of people go wrong is they over-improve and they, they put granite countertops in a property that doesn't need granite countertops. And because you do that, and because it increases your basis, how much you have in the property, you therefore, whether you're building or rehabbing, right, you've got to increase the rent to get to the return that you want. So I'm a big proponent on doing as little as possible within the interior. I mean, making it nice, but not over-improving for the tenant, because ultimately that allows us to keep the rents more affordable and still achieve the returns that we promised our investors. And so you've got to be careful with that. So our strategy focuses less on the interiors, more on the exteriors, more on adding amenities, and more on building that sense of community and some of the softer aspects of living somewhere. Yeah. That goes back to your critical thinking statements, right? I mean, you've got to look at ways that you're going to interface with them. You're going to improve their experience that's going to improve your bottom line instead of just thinking about ways to improve your bottom line. And I think that that's what a lot of people accuse landlords of and not always out of school because a lot of times landlords are just looking at how do I improve my bottom line at the expense without adding value back. So, Kent, again, it's awesome to talk with you because you bring such insight and you bring it from a place where you've seen, starting back to your early career of looking at other business models and how they brought value to their customers and what their value proposition was and who their avatar was and all of those things that you've now brought into your business. And as you move forward, I know that in watching your progression and seeing what you've done in the last year, just I know that you're going to have continued tremendous success because I see how methodical you are and how you're thinking about both sides of the equation, not just how to enhance the NOI. And really, people need more people that are willing to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And I know that you're one of those guys. And so kudos for being that. Just one of the other things that I want to bring this back to is, I mean, I know that you've got your own podcast, Ritter on Real Estate. You do networking events. I know that you're very active in the Indianapolis market, but where can people find you and how can they get in touch with you to see more about what you're doing and get involved with some of the stuff you're doing. Yeah, thanks, Shannon. The best way to get a hold of me is just my website. It's kentritter.com. And you can see my podcast there, my blog. There's investor resources, especially stuff that's good for like beginning investors, just terminology and kind of frequently asked questions and things that just kind of get you off the ground and make you feel a little more comfortable as you're interacting with deal sponsors and mm-hmm. folks that have investments you might be interested in investing in. So yeah, check out my website's the best place. And like you said, my podcast, Ritter on Real Estate, is on all the channels. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find me. Once again, Kent, I think you stole it out of my playbook because I'm ShannonRobnet.com. So, <laughs> you know, it's like you're my brother from an Indianapolis mother or something. I love but, it. But I think I'm going to steal that and go great minds think alike, right, Kent? Exactly. But, Ken, it's truly been a pleasure to have you on the show. And I hope that my listeners do reach out to you because it is important that you guys understand that good people doing good business do good things. And it's amazing what Ken's been able to do in the short period of time that he's been doing it. Now that he's out on his own, I know that he's going to continue to have success. So guys, help me thank Kent for being on the show by going to his podcast, checking that out as well. So Kent, I really want to say thanks again for being here and bringing the knowledge that you brought to my listeners. Yeah. Thanks, Shannon. I really appreciated the conversation and yeah, this is a lot of fun. Good. 
Guys, thanks for joining us today and tuning into the Real Estate Rundown. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the Real Estate Rundown on Podchaser, Spotify, iTunes, wherever else you find Kent Ritter's podcast, you can find mine, right? Uh, I'm going to go with the great minds right here. So that way you can get your automatic updates. You'll find us on Instagram, YouTube, leave us a review, follow us there. Also at shannonrobnet.com. I mean, I feel like a repeat here. Everything I'm doing, you're already doing. I mean, I guess I'm in good company with that. But guys, tuning in here to the Real Estate Rundown. We look forward to seeing you next time.